to the Christian Classical Corner with Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church and the Good Shepherd School Project, where we discuss Christian classical education as a way forward for educating God's children. Greetings, friends in Christ. My name is Margaret Douglas, and I am the headmistress of the Good Shepherd School Project at Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church. Let's talk some classical education. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts always be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. A Prayer for the Human Family O God, you made us in your own image, and you have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love, and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purpose on earth. That in your good time all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Great to be with you again today as we once again dive deep into the ideas of Christian classical education as a discipling tool for our children and youth building them up in the ways of the Lord. The prayer I began with is another that comes from our occasional prayers in the back of our Anglican Book of Common Prayer 2019. And that's available online for you in PDF form at bcp2019.anglicanchurch.net. That's bcp2019.anglicanchurch.net. I thought it spoke well today of what I'd like to talk about, but before I get into today's topic, I do want to let you know that if you've missed a week with us, never fear. You can catch up on any of our prior shows as well as, and probably more importantly, the sermons preached at Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church over at our SoundCloud page. Check it out at soundcloud.com slash jgshendersonnv. You especially don't want to miss great interviews with Father Howard, so go over and check out if you've missed it. That's at soundcloud.com slash J-G-S-H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N-N-V. Also, the parish recordings are always posted to our Facebook page, so do follow us at Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church. But most importantly, do tune in every Friday at 8.30 a.m. right here on KKVV. Now today, I want to talk a little bit more about how keeping ourselves and our children in the way of the Lord can help us to discern true wisdom and virtue from what the world might be calling wisdom and virtue, but really isn't. We've been talking some over the past few weeks about how the stories that the world tells may not really jive with the ways of the Lord. I'd like to explore those themes with you a little more today and, of course, talk about the role that education has to play in all this. I've read some really interesting pieces of commentary recently, and I wanted to share some ideas with you all about it. Now, the first one came from my own studies that I do when I'm not teaching classes for both Jesus the Good Shepherd Church and the Good Shepherd School Project. I'm currently doing graduate work by doing deep reading and research in educational philosophy through the great books of the Western world. Now, I know I've mentioned before that in classical education, we study from the great books. 
And of course, over the last few weeks, when Fathers Howard's joined us, he's talked about the importance of modeling as an important tool for training our children. Well, brothers and sisters, I am modeling what I am teaching in my own studies. And this modeling, by the way, is not just good pastoral advice. It's also what we do in classical forms of education. In classical education, it's much more a system of more advanced scholars helping to lead and mentor less advanced scholars, more than what we think of as the traditional teacher-student relationship that's come out of modern education. It's much more of a, a master and apprentice sort of thing than an authoritarian setup. And I think it's critically important to show our students that learning never stops. Growing in wisdom never stops. Developing our relationship with the Lord never, ever stops. Too often in modern progressive education, our children are taught, yeah, put in your 17 years, maybe 18 or 20 if you're going for an advanced degree. You're done. You're smart. You have the paper to prove it. <laughs> well, we who walk in the way of the Lord know that that's not true. We know that God doesn't give you a diploma. There are no heavenly credentials out there for when you've studied enough to be a good Christian. The only heavy, heavenly credential we need has already been bought and paid for by the cross. Now, God puts his laws in our hearts. And remember what the prophet Jeremiah talks about in chapter 31 of that book? For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see, for us as a people of God, we're having heart training more than we're having head training. But both of those are a lifetime thing, and we definitely want to model that for our students on a constant basis. So, back to my own modeling that through my own educational efforts. Now, the program I'm doing is at a non-sectarian university, and well. I'm very much encouraged to look at things through my own point of view as a Christian, and actually that's a rare thing to find in modern education, so it's to their credit. I do see some very interesting points of view coming from some of the other scholars. One that was published by a program fellow recently contained the passage, Changing the world first requires that we recognize that the world can be changed, and second, that we imagine the society those changes might create. Now, this particular scholar looks at things as a, quote, feminist cultural studies scholar, per her own admission. So what the author means by this passage and how I would look at it might be two very different things. But that's what I think is so very important for us to understand and for our children to understand. We have ideas coming at us all the time that are coming from some very different unbiblical worldviews. If we're going to preach to the culture as a people of God, we need to understand where that culture is coming from and how to redirect what may actually be some good and sincere energy back to the proper ways of God. All right, let's break this down a bit and find both the points of agreement and the points where we might say this but mean very different things. Does anybody out there disagree that the world we are currently living in needs to change? Anyone? Bueller? No? Yeah, I didn't think so. I think most of us recognize that the world is pretty messy right now. And that there needs to be some change. In fact, this passage jumped out at me when I read it for precisely that reason. 
I completely agree that the world needs to change. Now, I'm not even sure that we disagree with all the changes that we'd like to see, come to think of it. I mean, the author talked about more just worlds as a part of the vision later in her paragraph. Well, I agree with that. Who doesn't want more justice? But that's one of those words that can be really, really tricky. I mean, what is justice? And do we really want it more than we want love and mercy? I don't think so, friends in Christ. Not really. See, love and mercy are what came to us by the way of the cross. Justice, if we're honest about it, is what ought to come to us for the rebellion that we constantly perpetuate against our Creator. I don't know about you, but I'll take the love and the mercy over that kind of justice any time. Ah, wait, I can hear you out there. Come on, Douglas. You know that this scholar isn't talking about divine justice. The author is talking about justice in our own world, being more fair to different races and equality between men and women and that sort of thing. All right, all right. Agreed. But this is just goes to show you how very tricky our terminology can be and how very careful we need to be in defining our terms. Because even if we agree on the terms, on the what, we're not in these terms defining the why or the how. And the why and the how can make all the difference. I mean, look at our favorite topic on this program, education. The why of your teaching, whether you are training children to be servers of God and his people or servers of man and his institutions, makes a difference. And the how of your teaching, whether you're using time-honored methods that promote wonder that will develop to wisdom, or whether you're using modern methods that suppress wonder and promote societal compliance, those get you to two very different places. So now, with that in mind, remembering and recognizing just how tricky our terminology can be, let's take a look at that quote one more time, shall we? Changing the world first requires that we recognize that the world can be changed, and second, that we then imagine the society those changes might create. Can the world be changed? Well, I'd say that the answer to that question depends entirely on who we think is doing the changing. The author, I'm going to assume, for the sake of argument, means that we can change the world. I think I'd dispute that, unless, of course, God wants it or allows it to be so. Nothing is impossible with God. Scripture tells us that. The question is, if we attempt to change without God, do we get the change that we seek? Or do we get a mess of second-order consequences that we didn't foresee? I don't know about your experience, brothers and sisters, but I tend to find that when I'm not listening to the Lord, He has a lot of ways of showing me that that was not a good plan. This convincing people, especially young people, that we can do anything that we want without God's being involved is bound to lead to disaster and has led us to disaster. A good example. Recently, Jeremy Tate, founder and CEO of the Classical Learning Test, gave an account on social media about how he came into his project. He described his enthusiasm when he first went to teach in the inner city and then the utter disillusionment he suffered when he left. He described the students that he had as being in no fit frame of mind to receive the education that he was ready to give them. 
They had been too damaged by the utter lack of any family structure, moral teaching, or societal belonging to be able to learn anything. As Tate put it, father figures were almost non-existent. Most of my students were being raised by an aunt or a grandmother. Meanwhile, Tate began going to seminary, realized what his students needed was nothing like the world or the public education system was giving them. He said that he discovered, quote, the basic purpose for education in nearly every generation before the 20th century has been, one, moral formation, and two, passing down wisdom via important texts. And this realization is what brought Tate to the forefront of the classical revival in education, because he saw exactly what had become of the utter mess we created when, at the beginning of, or sorry, at beginning at the end of the 19th century, we decided that we could change society in a way that wasn't consistent with the way of the Lord. Now, obviously the world could be changed, we changed it, but I'm not really sure that we changed it in the ways that were in anybody's vision not even the original reformers of education. And it was certainly not the Lord's desire for us. I think the problem we run into might be in the second half of that quotation. Second, that we then imagine the society those changes might create. Hmm. You see the problem there? It's not that, it's kind of that while we human beings think that we're really good visionaries, we have this nasty habit of not thinking through the second-order consequences of things. You ever hear of Chesterton's fence? You know who Chesterton was? Well, G.K. Chesterton was an English novelist and apologist from... You want to guess when? No, you're wrong. I fooled you that time. He was not from the 1940s. He is a little bit earlier, actually. He was writing at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th. He was an author of the acclaimed Father Brown Mystery Series and a well-known Christian apologist. And Chesterton had a thing or two to say about second-order consequences. Now, what on earth is that, you may be asking yourself? Well, second-order thinking is not just thinking about the consequences of our actions, but thinking about the consequences of the consequences. How is this going to affect things down the road, possibly way down the road? Second-order thinking is complex, time-consuming, but it's critically important because it allows us to see the bigger picture of things. It allows us to consider how we got here, wherever here is, and what the bigger ramifications of change are. Chesterton himself described the fence this way. There exists in such a case a certain institution or law, let us say for the sake of simplicity, a fence or a gate erected across a road. The more modern type of reformer goes gaily up to it and says, I don't see the use of this, let us clear it away. To which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer, If you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then when you can come back and tell me that you do see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. In its simplest form, it goes this way. Do not tear down the fence until you understand why it was put up to begin with. 
Because if you don't understand how the changes affect not just you, not just your neighbor, but your children and your children's children and so forth and on with, you may be doing more harm than good. This is why to simply imagine the society those changes might create, as our intrepid author suggests, can be a recipe for a whole lot of trouble unless we're well-trained first to consider the second-order consequences. And no, this is not just a way to get out of any change. Change may be good sometimes. There may be reasons, as Chesterton notes, to take down the fence. But you've got to really thoroughly understand that fence first, or bringing it down can lead to all sorts of trouble. Barriers are sometimes necessary. God gave us fences precisely for that reason, didn't he? I mean, Exodus 20 sums up the fences of God rather nicely. See, the Ten Commandments weren't given to us to be a killjoy. They were given to us to be our necessary barriers. Otherwise, we human beings are awfully good at justifying any kind of behavior we want. We become what theologian J.I. Packer calls situationalists, always allowing the ends to justify the means. And he's taking it right from Scripture, right? Proverbs 21, 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Packer talks about how disastrous it is when we, either as individuals or as the church, fall into this kind of moral permissiveness. In his book, Keeping the Ten Commandments, Packer writes, Moral permissiveness, supposedly so liberating and fulfilling, is actually wounding and destructive not only of society, which God's law protects, but also of the lawless individual who gets coarsened and reduced as a person every time. Reduced as a person. What a bleak outlook on life. To be so diminished, it really blows the mind. And we're the architects of our own demise, aren't we? We break the commandments because we look at the initial consequences and think, won't be so bad. I can take it. Or I'll make up for that later in some way. But we completely miss the second order consequences of our own diminished humanity. And diminished humanity in individuals can only make for a diminished society. After all, society is only the sum of its individuals. And the more permissive we've become as a society, the more that as both individuals and as a whole, we've walked away from God's law the more diminished our humanity has become. That goes a long way to explain why Jeremy Tate walked into an inner city school all those years ago to find young people so obsessed with trying to fulfill their own diminished humanity in things like sex and drugs that they couldn't learn. It may explain the epidemic of broken homes and mental health issues that are just some of the problems facing our schools today. Yeah, and here's the thing. I know that there are a lot of people in those schools who would love to break those cycles. They just love to create the society of their dreams, as our intrepid author of my grad school program proposed. The problem is, they can't. Our own schools, brothers and sisters, are part of the problem. When our children sit in environments for six or eight hours a day, devoid of love, devoid of truth, devoid of beauty, devoid of goodness. They are not going to be trained in ways to grow into being truly human. When our children are being taught some facts and figures, but no deep thoughts, no interrelational knowledge, no moral values, 
They are not going to grow into good people with a desire to build up a good society, even if they come from a good home, and God help them if they don't come from one. When our children are being taught just enough to pass the test, they're barely being trained to consider first-order consequences, let alone second-order consequences. Brothers and sisters, this is no way to train children up to be truly human. We are not doing what St. Paul said in Ephesians 6.4, to fully enculturate our children in the ways of the Lord. You see, in our desire to be accommodating to all, we released education from its original moral moorings, stripping it of its Christian roots and trying to give students morally neutral education. That would give us a society where we were less prejudiced against anyone who didn't believe as we did, right? Yeah. There's another example of where we were really poor at judging those second-order consequences and should have heeded Chesterton's fence. Let me tell you a little secret, friends in Christ. There is no morally neutral education. Every type of education is formational in the moral sense. Children will come to believe and accept whatever moral climate is there in their primary educational system. And when one creates an educational system that is atheistic, children are going to accept atheistic nihilism as a default. What we educated our students in for the last 70 years was a morally deficient education. Now, and those who had moral roots coming from their homes did all right for a while, so we didn't seem to notice it very much. We thought it was working. But then again, we weren't very good at those second-order consequences, and they've caught up to us. Now we have a morally deficient society, and the schools are giving us no help in changing that. The only way we change that is by turning back to the Lord and educating our children in His wisdom once again. <laughs> we can't just pretend that sticking a cross or two in the classroom is going to do it. We've talked about this on this program before. Children are not fooled. We have got to use all the tools at our disposal. And one of the best tools that we have is classical education, which listens to the voices throughout the ages that have looked at the hard questions of life and come to conclusions about what truth, goodness, and beauty really are, and then teaches children to use that knowledge to the glory of God and His goodness. That's real education. That's real paideia, the full enculturation of a child in what it means to be a person of God, not just a mindless automaton and consumer like the world is training them to be. We can and must do better, brothers and sisters. Jeremy Tate started the classical learning test as a competitor to the SAT and the ACT exams to help family who classically educate to break the mold and get away from the testing system that keeps modern education locked in its poorly designed systems. <laughs> and I guess I'd better mention, I have absolutely no affiliation with the CLT exam. I'm just a parent who likes the exam and I follow them on social media. I'm not on their payroll. I just believe in their mission. Tate's a father, and I believe he and his wife send their children to a Christian classical school. And so that's what they're doing in their corner of the world. What are you doing in yours? Well, I can tell you that Jesus is the Good Shepherd Anglican Church. We're working on building the school. We're starting it as a homeschool co-op and assistance program, one that anyone can join. Know someone who would love to get their children out of the public schools and educate classically, but must work or they have other barriers? We can help. 
Know of homeschoolers here in the Valley who are looking for more depth to their programs? We can help. Please check us out at goodshepherdhenderson.info. That's G-O-O-D-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D-H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N dot I-N-F-O. And if you'd like to know more about our church or support our work, find our parish at vegasanglican.org. V-E-G-A-S-A-N-G-L-I-C-A-N dot O-R-G. By the way, registration for our All Saints terms, our terms go six weeks at a time, and we're about to end Michaelmas term. All Saints term begins on November the 1st. We name our terms after the church calendar, by the way. As I've mentioned before, it makes a lot more sense to do that than to follow the world's calendar. All Saints Festival is on November 1st. We're starting our next term on November 1st. The registration form will be live by tomorrow morning, so do check that out. Again, you can get that from goodshepherdhenderson.info. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters, for listening. Thank you for your support. Most of all, thank you for your prayers. May you have a wonderful, wonderful week, and I ask that you keep us in your prayers as we wrap up Michaelmas term. That I can't believe we're actually at the end of Michaelmas term already, that it has been six weeks, but it has been. Please keep the children in your prayers. Have a great week. God bless, and we'll see you here next week at the Christian Classical Corner. so much for joining us at the Christian Classical Corner. It's been a pleasure, and we hope that it's been a blessing for you. Want to learn more? Find out more about our school project at goodshepherdhenderson.info and more about our church, where you can support our ministry at vegasanglican.org. Thank you so much. Be blessed. And we'll see you next week, Friday, 8.30 a.m., for more talk on Christian Classical Education. Hi, I'm Jay DeMarcus of Rascal Flats. I've had the honor of playing for our troops overseas. I'll tell you, the joy I felt getting the chance to give back to our nation's heroes is something that's stuck with me ever since. If you're currently serving or have served, I just want to say thank you. Without your sacrifice, I wouldn't get to enjoy the freedoms that we do every day. It's a debt that cannot be repaid. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Air Force. Enjoying Everyday Life with Joyce Myers brings truth, faith, and love. And I I had no idea that we could have a victorious, overcoming life by, instead of being overcome by everything, we could be the overcomers if we knew how to receive the strength and the infilling, the power of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis to help us be people who can instead of people who can't. Tune in Monday through Friday at 11.15 a.m. on KKVV. Welcome to Teach Kids by Child Evangelism Fellowship, helping you teach truth to the kids in your life. A lot of entertainment for kids makes adults and seniors look mean or foolish. That might explain why kids often don't respect older people. Kids need to be taught how to love, appreciate, and respect seniors. Making friends with seniors can help teach kids to do that. Find common interests so they can connect and then give them opportunities and some coaching so they don't feel awkward. The biggest thing is just to notice seniors, smile and greet them at church or other gatherings. 
God cares about seniors, and he wants kids to care for them, too. See the full article on teaching kids to care for seniors at cefonline.com. 